Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Good morning, everybody. My name is Aaron. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, welcome to Simple Church. And uh, today we are jumping into a brand new series called Not a Fan. And uh, I'm excited to do this. In fact, I'm a little more excited than I usually am on Sunday mornings. I come in here and I've drank a couple cups of coffee and my staff standing in the back while I'm talking, holding up signs saying, slow down. You're talking too fast. You're way too excited. But I'm hyped up because this weekend I spent some time with about 500 men. Uh, I had the honor and the uh, privilege of serving at a, a conference, a men's conference that happens every year called the Game Day Conference. 500 men from all over Ohio gathered this weekend down in Grove City at the Grove City Church of the Nazarene and and uh, one of the breakout sessions they asked me to come in to speak and so I did and, and the topic that I, w- that I was given was to talk on pornography and and I think this is such a stronghold in men's lives today it was incredible to spend time with these guys and to see them set free and give them practical tips on how to be set free from that and so I'm just I'm just really excited it, it's been a great weekend for me and uh, and so I'm excited to be here with you guys as well again thank you so much for being here this morning uh, we are going to start this new series called not a fan and from time to time we'll we'll do we always do series around here but from time to time I'll pick a series that actually follows a book uh, and this time in particular this is one that follows a book it's written by Kyle Eidelman and he is a pastor at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville Kentucky and he wrote the book not a fan and uh, the content of it is incredible and I'm going to preach through it over the next few weeks but if you would like to follow along you want to go a little bit deeper in your study and uh, you'd like to do that individually we went ahead and bought a couple of these books for you they're normally $15 at Lifeway stores and online, but we got them here for you for $10 today. There's a few of them left out at the Connect Center, uh, and so um, if, you, if you'll hand somebody a $10 bill out there, you can pick one of those up today, and then you can follow along yourself, okay? All right. Now, anybody here, has anybody here ever uh, ran a lemonade stand as a kid? Hands up if you ever ran a lemonade stand as a kid. So a few of you. Now, any of you that raised your hand, or any of you currently doing that today for a profession? Well, I know it sounds like a silly question to ask, but honestly, when you go to fairs and you go to festivals, there's somebody that has chosen to do that for a living, right? They've got those lemonade shakeups, and they are charging like an arm and a leg for one of those things, you know? I can't drink them. I drink one of those things, and I am like an immediately in like a shock, all the sugar that they put in those things. But, but people love them, and, and people are making money hand over fist with these lemonade shakeup things. And so, you know, you got to wonder about how that kid made the choice to to get involved with that as an adult? Like, did it start with him saying, okay, I, one of my buddies ran, ran a lemonade stand, and so the kid goes and asks his dad, he's like, hey, dad, can you help me get this set up? And dad's like, sure, sure. So he helps him build like a rickety little stand, you know, and paints the lemonade on the sign. And of course, the E is backwards because that's so cute, you know. You want to see that when a kid's running a lemonade stand. And, and so the kid sells the cups of lemonade for 50 cents, and he stands out on the street corner and sells them. And man, the kid makes some pretty good money. He says, well, I'm going to do this again. And he does it again, and he makes good money the next day, and he does it again and again, and he gets known in the community for having this cute little lemonade stand that everybody wants to drive by and buy a cup for 50 cents. 
Well, eventually, somebody gets the idea, let's, let's bring the cute little kid with the lemonade stand over to the, to the uh, football game on Friday night. So the kid goes to the football game and decides when he goes there, his dad says, you need to up your prices. You need to charge $2 a cup. So the kid ups his prices. Like, I'm just in my mind, I'm trying to understand the transition of going from a lemonade stand to being a full-time lemonade $5 shake-up guy, right? And so he's, he's going to all these events, and he's selling them and making a lot of money, but he's now in high demand. And he comes to a point, I think, in his career where, or as a lemonade stand guy, he's got to make a decision, right? He's got to make a decision. Is this just a hobby, or is this something I'm going to do for the rest of my life? Is this something I'm going to invest some more time into? Because being honest with you, at this point, he's so busy, he's probably placing special orders for lemons. He's probably found a cheaper supplier so that he can keep a little more of that money. And, and he's got a calendar that's booked out for months in advance. You can't just get him on a moment's notice anymore. He probably needs some help. And is he going to hire some people? Is he really going to get that serious about the lemonade stand? And, you know, he's got to make a decision. And I think there's a, there's a lot of things in our life where we come to a place where we've got to make a decision. Are we really going to be serious about this thing? Or is it just going to be something casual that we do, right? And I don't think in business is the only example that we find. I think the best way to describe this decision that we have to make is in relationships. Take a look at this video from the author, Kyle. DTR. Some of you will recognize what those letters stand for. If you're not sure, let me help you out. If you are a young man in a relationship with a young woman, then uh, chances are these letters are enough to strike fear into your heart. You may run away from, postpone, you may dread the DTR talk. Some young men will even terminate a relationship if they feel like the DTR talk is imminent. It is that official talk that takes place in every romantic relationship. Do you know what it stands for, DTR? Define the relationship. You sit down and you decide where things are going. Have things moved from casual to committed? I remember this uh, date I went on in high school. On the very first date, the girl tried to have the DTR talk with me. First date, DTR. I got out of their PDQ. I just ran away. PDQ means pretty darn quick, okay? He got out of there pretty darn quick. All these acronyms and stuff they've thrown at us. Don't know what they're saying. But how many of you guys have been in a relationship like that? How many guys? How many guys have been in a relationship like that where maybe on the, on the third date you had the DTR talk? Anybody on a third date? Uh-oh, over here on a third date. How about, how about on a second date? Second date. Anybody on a first date you had the DTR talk? Okay, you know what DTR also equals? Awkward. It's just awkward, right? It's because it's like you don't know what somebody's going to say. You don't know how they're going to respond when you have the DTR. You define the relationship. Where is this going? What is happening here? It's, it's awkward. It's uncomfortable for everybody because when you begin or ask to define the relationship, what can happen? Well, somebody may not be where you're at, and they may decide to walk away, or the relationship can get more intention intense and you can go a little deeper. So what we're going to do over the next few weeks is I I want all of us to examine our relationships with Jesus. 
I want us to have the DTRs, define the relationship. What does it look like? And I get the fact that some of you are, are here, this is your, you're kind of like on a first date with Jesus. Like you don't even know him, you're just getting to know him, right? And so, so if that's you and you're here in this room, let me just say that you, you just get to sit and listen for a little bit. But for the rest of us, I would say you're probably at a place where you're ready to have a DTR conversation with Jesus. You're ready to define the relationship and understand what do I need to do to move forward? Where do you stand with him? And so here's the relationship status that we need to determine, okay? Is are you a fan or are you a follower of Jesus? There's a difference between the two, and we're going to talk about that today. But before we determine that, before I ask you the questions that will lead you to understand where you're at as a fan or a follower, let me say that I realize that most of us in this room are in one of two categories, okay? The first category is, is that you're the guy that, you're the group of people that has the Jesus fish on the back of your car, Okay? And so when I ask you, are you a follower of Jesus? Your immediate answer is, of course, well, yeah, of course I'm a follower of Jesus. Didn't you see the fish on the back of my car? Didn't you see my, my Jesus tattoo? I got a scripture right here. Didn't you see that? How did you miss that? Now, before you answer, let me tell you what I'm not asking you when I say, are you a follower of Jesus? Okay? I'm not asking you, do you go to church? Because everybody here would say, yeah, I go to church. I qualify. That's not what I'm asking you. I'm not asking you, are your parents Christian? I'm not asking you if you grew up in a Christian home. I'm not asking you if you raised your hand and repeated a prayer after a sermon on a Sunday morning. That's not, that's not what I'm asking you. I'm not asking you if you're in a grow group or if you serve on a team at the church. I'm not asking you if you went to vacation Bible school as a kid. I'm not asking you if your ringtone on your phone is a worship song. It's not, it's not what I'm asking you. I'm not asking you, do you still wear a WWJD bracelet or do you have a Jesus tattoo up here on your arm? like I do. It's just cool. I'm just saying. You don't have to. That's not what I'm asking you. Under your religious status on Facebook, does it say Christ follower? That's not what I'm asking you. Before you talk bad about somebody, do you say bless their heart? Or are you familiar with traveling mercies and understand phrases like sword drill? Those are not the questions that I'm asking you when I say, are you a follower of Jesus? And many of you would say, yes, you're a follow, follower, but like Indigo Montoya from the movie The Princess Bride, I'm going to have to say to you, I, that word doesn't mean what you think it means. There it is. You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. If you would identify yourself as a follower because of the, the questions I asked before, it, it's not what you think it means. So we're going to identify what it means to be a follower today. And, and you say, Aaron, how can you say that? That's a, that's, a little, that's a little harsh. How can you say that? Well, I can say it because Jesus said it. In Matthew chapter 7, we see Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he talks of a day when he will stand in heaven, when all of this is done, when the world is has been remade and judgment has come. This is that time when Jesus will stand there and there are people who are going to say, Lord, Lord, and he's going to look at him and say, depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. That means that there are some of us here that consider ourselves followers of Christ who are not. Who are not. The second group of people that, that are represented in this room is the, why is there a Jesus fish on the back of my friend's car? You're somebody who doesn't know Jesus, right? You, you, you don't know who he is. You don't know what he's done. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe you grew up in church, but it never became yours. You know? You're okay with people sitting around you and being followers of Christ, but that's really not for you. You, you, you haven't really bought into it. It's, it's not 
part of your belief system. And maybe you've been around it and you've said, you know, I like going, there's coffee, I like to hang out, my friends go and I go with them. But I'm not buying into that. And, and, that's, and, and that's okay, we, we're so happy that you're here. I'm being honest with you, I'm so glad that you're here. But I have a question for those of you that are in that group of people. If you say none of this is true, but let me ask this question, what, what if it is? What if Jesus is who the Bible says he is? What if he was 100% man and 100% God? What if he really left heaven, was born as a baby, lived a sinless life, died on a cross, and paid a price that you and I could not pay for ourselves to guarantee us entry into heaven and an abundant life here on earth? What if all that is true? What if heaven's a real place? What if hell is a real place? What if? If there's any part of you inside that would consider any of these questions, then having this DTR conversation with Jesus is important. And I believe it's the most important question that we need to ask today. And again, that question is, are you a fan or are you a follower? So to look at Christ's invitation to follow, we're going to look at a a passage of Scripture, and I think this lays out perfectly what it means to be a follower of Christ. We're going to be in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. I'll also put the, uh, oh, there it is. Ta-da! It's up on the screen already for you. So you can follow along. And Jesus is talking. He says, if anyone would come after me, you understand that he didn't say come before me. He didn't say walk alongside me. He didn't say hold my hand. He said come after me. That makes you a follower. He says, if anybody would be my follower, would come after me, he must deny himself. Now we hate that. We hate that. We want to just cut that out. We want to take a black Sharpie marker and black that out of our Bibles because None of us are really good at denying ourselves. I'm going to turn myself to the side, and you can see I'm not really good at denying myself. I'm not. I don't care. I'm not ashamed. I'm going to say it. I'm working on that. But I'm not afraid. I have issues denying myself. We don't like it. We don't like it because it represents sacrifice. To follow after Jesus, he says that what we have to do is deny ourselves. Deny what? Deny our rights. Deny our privileges. Deny ourselves that which we feel we're entitled to. We live in a a generation that is so entitled to everything. We want our food, and we want our food fast. We want it right now, even though it's the most unhealthy garbage for us. We want what we want, and we want it now. We don't deny ourselves very well. We just don't. And Jesus says, if you're to follow me, if you're to come after me, you have to deny yourself. No, no, he didn't say deny your neighbor. He didn't say deny your friend. He didn't say deny your parents or your children. He said deny yourself. You must deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. The cross was an Im- image or a symbol of death and has been for so many years. He says, take up your cross daily and follow after me. I think many of you here t- today will welcome the DTR talk because you are ready to move to a different level of commitment with Jesus. You're at that place. You're like, what do, what do I do? What is the next step? What does that look like for me? You're ready to move past the casual and move past the convenient into something more devoted, something more committed. So you're ready for this talk. 
And some of you are not because you kind of like the setup that you've got. You know, you enjoy the fact that you can come here on a Sunday morning, that it's a chill environment. You get to wear flip-flops because the pastor does. And you can wear a t-shirt. You don't have to think about your, what you're going to wear that day because you got a t-shirt last Sunday. So you're wearing your, your coming. You like that. You enjoy that. I like that you like that. I want you to come comfortable. You like that you can get a coffee and bless God, you can bring it into the auditorium. You like the comfortable chairs. You enjoy all that. But, but don't ask me to do some more. Don't ask me to become more committed. The idea of taking, a different, taking things to a different level gets you a little nervous. You might even have like a fight or a flight response. But what we need to do is define the relationship with Jesus. So where do you stand with Jesus? That's my question today. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Now, some of you are wondering why I'd ask a question like that, because we're all followers of Jesus, right? And, and we've already said, no, that, that it doesn't mean what you think it means. And you say, but, but that's why we're here. We want to follow after Christ. But look, I want you to hear me out for the next few minutes, because the word fan is defined as an enthusiastic admirer, because we're all fans of different things, Right? All fans of different things. Some of you are fans of, of cooking. Some of you are fans of uh, sports. Sports is an easy one. Let me, let me just use that one. We, we understand being a fan of a sport, right? Because we, if we like football, we watch the games, right? We may even go to the games. We have a favorite player, and, and we always cheer for them, you know, or we, maybe we even wear their jersey. We understand what it means to be a fan of a team. We get enthusiastic and excited whenever they come on, and we get really, really hurt when they lose. We understand what it's like to be a fan. If you still don't understand what it's like to be a fan, I'm going to explain it to you in two letters. Two small, very seemingly insignificant letters. It goes like this. O-H. Fans. There they are. It's fans. And my concern is, I heard one boo. I'll, I'll ignore that. Jesus, everybody stretch your hands this way. Jesus, we pray for this man right now. Deliver him from his, his delusion in Jesus' name. And God bless the Buckeyes and Urban Meyer. Amen. <laughs> My concern is, though, not just for this man, but it's that our church has the potential to be very easily like a stadium full of fans. Where we're just fans of Jesus. And let me be honest with you, when you read the Bible, Jesus never cared about having fans. He, he wasn't interested. If you define a fan as an enthusiastic admirer, you'll notice the fans were not important to him. Because I think we have a tendency to come together once a week and be fans of Jesus. We sit down in our seats, we go through the program, we, we applaud at certain times, we, we leave somehow thinking that as fans that it was all done for us. We get in our car and we discuss the sermon and we give the whole service a thumbs up or a thumbs down and then we come back and we do it all again every week. And I get the fact that some of you are really, really big fans. I mean, you're really into all this. You know all the songs, you know all the words. You don't need the pages for your Bible. You don't even need the cheater tabs. You know what cheater tabs are? They're like these little tabs that are along the edges of your Bible to tell you where the books are, right? You don't need the cheater tabs in your Bible. You know where to turn. You're pretty fast. In fact, if you're following along in your Bible today, you knew right where Luke was. You could just flip it right open. That's Luke. I know where it was. And as soon as you got to Luke, you looked around to see if you beat everybody, like you're in a sword drill. <laughs> you don't know what sword drills are? Let me just take you back to my, my, my Sunday school days. Anybody here know what sword drills are? Oh, there's a few of you out there. Okay. Sword drills are, so the, so the word of God is called the sword of the spirit. Okay. 
And a drill is something you do over and over again to get better at using or doing whatever it is you're going to do. So it was called a sword drill. And the idea was that the Sunday school teacher would call out the verse, and you would sit at, your, at the table, seat, seated, and they would call out a random verse, and you would flip to it, find it, find that verse, and stand up. And the very first person to stand up won the sword drill. I was excellent at these. My chart had so many gold stars on it. It was incredible. I was the best in the class. Not even lying. There was only like three of us. But it doesn't matter. I was really, really good at it. <laughs> and some of, you, some of you are really, really great at these sword drills. But look, being honest with you, being good at a sword drill does not make you a follower. It more than likely makes you a fan. It's possible that you're just a fan. You're, you're not following Jesus. And being a fan, honestly, it feels really good, especially when you get that gold chart filled up with all the little gold stars for accomplishing all the little things that you can do at church. We can feel pretty good about ourselves because we're great admirers of Christ. But Jesus never cared about having fans. So if we're being honest with ourselves, if we really search our hearts and begin to define our relationship with Jesus, there are three questions that I believe today we need to ask ourselves to determine whether you are a fan or whether you are a follower. The first question is, why are you here? Why are you here? I don't mean here on this earth. I mean, why are you here at Simple Church? Why are you at any church at all? What's the answer to that? If you read through the Gospels, as, as at different points in Jesus' ministry, he would draw a line in the sand for people who said, I want to follow you. They'd come up to him at different times and say, I'll follow you. And Jesus would, would say, all right, that's fine. Let me put my finger on something. The rich young ruler is one of them. He said, go sell everything that you have. Now, is that a command for everybody? No. Jesus put his finger on the most important thing in that guy's life and said, go do that. I'm going to challenge you. You want to follow me? You're going to follow me in every part of your life. For him, he knew that would be the challenge, and Jesus puts his finger on that and says, follow me, and the guy walks away. Jesus did this over and over and over again because his point was to separate the fans from the followers. There's people that wanted to be associated with Jesus because of his clout, because of his, because of his popularity during the day. He, he wasn't always hated. That was not until the end of his life. He had three years of ministry. And people wanted to be part of what he was doing. And he separated them quickly oftentimes. He didn't care about having fans. One such, one such instance is, of course, in John chapter 6. Jesus is in the height of his ministry. And we, we read that large crowds, not just individuals, large crowds are following him. He has already got his 12 disciples. And there's people that are coming. They're coming because he's doing miracles. They're coming because he's feeding 5,000 men, which really, to be honest with you, that number should be about 15,000 because it says 5,000 men. It doesn't include the women and children that would have been around. So it's likely that it was like 15,000 people that Jesus fed with five loaves and two fishes. Well, that's an incredible miracle. What's he going to do next? It's like watching a magic show. We come for the show. And Jesus realizes that. He knows that they're there because of what he can do for them. And so we see in, in verse 2, he even identifies that. He says that the people are coming because of the miracles. That's why they were showing up, because of the spectacle. They didn't care as much about the teaching, the life-changing message, the challenge to follow him. They were there because of what he could do for him. They were there for the show. So my question to you is, why are you here? 
What is your because? Is it because you, you like the free food in the cafe? Is it because the seats are comfortable? Is it because you like the welcoming environment, the people, you can make friends easy here and your kids are getting connected and making friends here? Is that why you're here? Is it because you like the music? The band's really rocking. They really are. But are you here just because you like the music? Are you here because I tell silly jokes? Why, why are you here? I mean, all that stuff is great for a while, but at some point, you have to define the relationship. And the question of why you are here is important. If you continue reading in John 6, we see that Jesus challenges all of these people who are following him, the crowd, the great crowd of people. He challenges them to a deeper, more intimate relationship with him. And the people aren't having it. They, they don't like what he has to say. And so we see in John 6, verse 66, from this time... After Jesus challenges them, the result is this. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Now, you need to understand that word disciple. I understand it's kind of a churchy word. So we, we define it different. We say his apprentices because we kind of understand that in our modern-day context, right? We understand that there's a master and there's an apprentice. And the apprentice's job is to follow around the master and learn everything that he does. Everything that he does on the job, that's what we're supposed to do. And of course, with Jesus, this is not on the job, this is in the life. And so we're supposed to follow around and do everything that Jesus did. That's what a disciple is. These guys were following him around until he invited them into a deeper relationship and said, why are you here? This is what this is about. And those that were following him turned away and walked on home. When he said, let's define what we've got, what he offered wasn't what they wanted and it may be time, I'm going to say it, maybe time for some of us here to just go home. If you're not here for a relationship with Jesus, if you're not here because that's why he's here, that's what Jesus' because was. Jesus was here on earth because he loved us. He was here to lay his life down, to live a life in such a way, a sinless and perfect life, and pay a penalty he did not owe because we couldn't pay it for ourselves. This is everything God did to get to us. It's why Jesus was here. That's his, because his love brought him here. Why are you here? Why are you here? He wants to have a deep relationship with you. The second question we need to ask ourselves is, are you all in? Are you all in? There's a guy recently here from Ohio. He, um, he's going to his job and doing his regular routine. And one day he hears a voice in his head and it says, quit your job, sell your belongings, fly to Vegas. The guy's never heard anything like this before in his head and he just kind of shakes it off. You know, maybe it was bad pizza he ate last night. He's not sure. But throughout the day, it continues to say to him, quit your job, sell your house, go to Vegas. He's like, Vegas? Man, that's a long way from Ohio. I don't know if I can sell my house. That seems kind of hard. And my job, I just got a promotion at my job. Why would I quit? So he shakes it off for a couple days. He hears it again in his head. Quit your job, sell your house, go to Vegas. It becomes this nagging voice that continues to speak to him. And so he decides to give in. He quits his job. Within a few weeks, he sells his house. He's staggered by how quickly it went. And he gets on a plane, takes all of his money, 
and flies to Vegas. He gets off the plane and he hears the voice again say to him, go to the Horseshoe Casino. He's not sure why he's going, but he's followed so far and he goes to the Horseshoe Casino and he's walking by the roulette table and the voice speaks in his head again and says, put it all on number four. The guy says, well, I've I've followed so far. I've listened closely and he puts it all on number four. The guy at the table puts the ball in the wheel and it begins to spin around and around and around. When it finally drops, the guy operating the table looks up and says, seven. The man stood there in stunned silence and he heard the voice again and it said, crap. Some of you got a little uncomfortable, didn't you? Why did you get uncomfortable? Because you thought I was getting ready to tell you a story about Jesus leading somebody to do that stuff. You got uncomfortable because there's a place in your life that you won't let Jesus touch. You're not all in. You're not all in. Was it quit your job? When it provides everything that you need, but God is the one who wants to be your provider and will be your provider. Is it your house? You've got a nice house. You've got a nice setup. Maybe God's been challenging you to downsize so that you can give a little more of your money away. I don't know. You imagine what that's like to sell your house and to be obedient. You're like, no, I'm comfortable here. We've got a room for each one of the kids, and you know, I've got a craft room, and my husband has a, has a computer office, and, and, and we've got a finished basement that we're only in like, you know, an hour a week, but oh, we've got it. We've got a guest bedroom and a massive yard and a fire pit, and I'm not saying any of these things are bad. But what if Jesus asked you to give them up? Could you do it? What if he said, take all you've got and give it away? Would you follow? What if he said, fly to a faraway place? Would you go? A lot of us, we're going to go to El Salvador here in a few months. Some of you, God's telling you, you need to go, and you're, you're backing off from it. But let me tell you something. If he said go, there's a reason for it. You need to go. Doesn't matter if you don't have the money. You need to go. He'll make a way. But we get uncomfortable when we hear these stories because we don't like the fact that being a follower of Jesus requires a complete commitment. A follower of Jesus will do whatever it takes to do just that. Follow him. They're absolutely loyal. They're completely committed in every way. On the whole, I don't think we do very well with absolute commitment, do we? I think we prefer like that that selective commitment, right? Where we, uh, we simply put, we like to customize our Christianity. We like to cut things out of the Bible and say, well, that's not for me. Oftentimes, we look at our relationship with Jesus and say, well, I'm gonna follow him, but I'm gonna kind of pick and choose which areas I will follow him in. Like, I'm gonna follow Jesus, but don't, don't expect me to forgive that person that offended me. I owe them some vengeance, and I've, I, I have the right to be upset with them. I don't, don't, don't ask me to forgive them. Or I'll follow Jesus, but don't talk to me about giving financially because I work hard for my money. Or I'll follow Jesus, but I'm not going to curb my sexual desires. Are you kidding me? I'm, this is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get what I need, and I'm still going to say that I'm a follower of Jesus. So it's this customized Christianity that says, well, I'll follow Jesus, but only in these areas that I'm comfortable with, only in the areas that I agree with. 
I'm a Christian, but I'm not all in. And I have to tell you that if that's you, you're not a follower, you're just a fan. There's not this option of selective commitment when it comes to following Jesus. It's not a possibility. There's no bargaining, there's no bartering, there's no finagling. When you decide to be a follower of Christ, you've got to go all in. Am I telling you to sell all your belongings and give all your money to some place? No, I'm not, I'm not telling you to do any of that. I'm telling you that when Jesus tells you to do it, you do that. And fans don't like the idea of going all in because they're not wild about having to make sacrifices or about having to deny themselves something they deserve, desire, or crave. We don't like that. But if you've answered why you're here, then it'll be pretty easy to figure out if you're all in. If you know why you're here, you should be able to say, I'm either all in or I'm not. And if you aren't here for the right reasons in the first place, chances are you're not all in either. So in defining our relationship with Jesus, we ask the questions, why am I here? And are you all in? The third question to determine whether you are a fan or a follower is, have I made it or have you made it your own? You know, I'd say many of you are just like me. You started going to church when you were a kid because you had a drug problem, right? And I don't mean like a drug problem. I mean like mom and dad drug you to church, you know what I mean? Or you had a granny who drug you to church. <laughs> Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you had a habit, buddy. It was it. <laughs> and you were drugged to church. You went there because somebody else made you go there. Or maybe you started coming because you started dating somebody who's a Christian and this person has decided to do some missionary dating. They follow Jesus, but you don't. But I'm going to win you to the Lord, so let's go out and and have fun on Friday night, and you come to church with me on Sunday. That's why you're here. You appease that relationship because it makes them happy that you're here. Maybe that's where you're at. Or maybe you're here because you're in a recovery program, and no matter what level of addiction, no matter what addiction you dealt with or what you're going through in your life, maybe a counselor, maybe somebody has told you, you know what you need is a higher power in your life. You need God in your life, and so you're here because they told you you ought to be here. You're here to appease that program. Maybe that's why you're here. Or maybe you're here, maybe, maybe you're here, I, I, I'm not sure why you're here, but, the, for, but for those of us who grew up in church, or for those of us who are appeasing a relationship or a program, or a relative, it can be very easy to become a fan of Jesus. It's kind of like riding in the car with somebody. Anybody here ever carpool? You carpool to work, you carpool to school. Anybody carpool? Just a few of you, Okay. Have you ever carpooled before? Anybody ever carpooled? All right. So you know what that's like. You get into this person's car, and they're always playing that stinking music. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's, it's not that you hate it. It's just not really your favorite. Maybe it's like Aerosmith, you know? And Aerosmith is always playing every time you get into the car. I'm, I don't have a problem with Aerosmith. I'm just saying, you know, maybe it is for an example. Or maybe it's just an 80s channel, I don't know. But anyway, it's, it's Aerosmith, we'll call it Aerosmith. And you get in the car, and every time you get in the car, Aerosmith comes on. And you spend day after day, week after week, listening to this album. Man, they've got the greatest hits, they've got old school Aerosmith, they've got Aerosmith live, they've got Aerosmith. And while I said, well, you don't hate it, you don't really love it, but you can't help it, you've kind of spent enough time around it that 
you kind of start to like it. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to go out personally and buy the album or chase them around the country and go to every stop they do on their tour. That doesn't mean you're going to do that, but, but you kind of like it. You find yourself when you're in the car, you can't help but hum along to songs like, I don't want to miss a thing and dude look like a lady. Well, the only one? That's fine. That was awkward. But you might say that, that through this process, you become a fan of Aerosmith. You might say that. And this newfound fandom that you have of Aerosmith happened because of someone you were with who loved Aerosmith. And that can happen to us in church. You know, we come Sunday after Sunday to appease someone else, and pretty soon we get into the flow of things, right? We begin to learn the songs. We know most of them. And we even recognize the stories or the teachings that, that, that the pastor or whoever's up here is going to be talking about. You kind of get familiar with all of it. You become fans of Jesus. But I'm going to tell you, church, that's the most dangerous situation you can be in. Because when you become a fan of something, if your faith is not your own, if you aren't pursuing a relationship with Jesus, and you keep coming week after week and begin to create a faith that is based on someone else's relationship with Jesus, you become numb to what a real relationship with Jesus looks like. You're numb to the the day-to-day experience, the real faith. You're comfortable with just a few songs and a few verses, none of which really challenge you to be different or to sacrifice. But church, I'm going to tell you today, if that's you, you, the challenge is you have to make this faith your own. Jesus isn't looking for a relationship between you, your mom, and him. Jesus isn't looking for a relationship between you and your friend, your boyfriend, and your girlfriend. He's not looking for a relationship between you and your wife. He's looking for a relationship with you, with me. That's what he's looking for. Maybe one of the reasons why he said in Luke 14, verse 26, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his mother or his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, He cannot be my disciple. You say, boy, Aaron, that's a tough verse. I didn't write it. Jesus did. What does that mean? Do I really have to hate my family? Check. I'm already there. Done. Not me. My family's awesome. What does it mean? Jesus is saying is if the way that you love me isn't so great, if the way that you love me doesn't make the way that you love your family, love your mother, love your father... And even love yourself. If the way that you love me doesn't make that look like you hate them, you can't follow me. You can't be my disciple. The way that we have to follow him must be selflessly, sacrificially, completely committed. There is no other way to follow after Jesus. And he said this verse because it's not about your mom or your dad. It's about you And it's about Jesus. That's all it's about. So what we're going to do over the next few weeks as we follow through this series is I'm going to ask you to first humble yourself. Don't look at your neighbor. Don't look at your spouse. Don't look at your friend. 
Don't compare yourself to anybody else. You just look at yourself. And I want you to humbly pray through. Am I a fan or am I a follower of Jesus? When Jesus puts his hand on something, when the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, be obedient. Be obedient. As we go through this this next few weeks, we ask you to get back here. Be part of this series with us. Study through this and learn how to live a completely committed life following after Jesus. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I know there's people in this room today. You're not a fan. You're not a follower of Jesus. In fact, maybe you've heard the message before and you've ignored it. You said, no, that's not for me. Maybe today, as I shared it earlier, the love that God has for you, the love that he so expressed when he sent his son to pay a penalty, to pay a price you and I could not pay with his life and his death. And through his resurrection, we now have that life. We have eternity in heaven and an abundant life here on earth. Hearing that message, if today your heart is stirring, and you'll say, Aaron, today I want to I begin my life as a follower of Christ in response to the love that he has given to me. Today I want to make that decision. You say, Aaron, I, wanna, I want you to count me in on that prayer. I'm not going to have you come to the front or stand up. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to know that you're here. And you can let me know that just by raising your hand in just a second. Just a second. But we're going to pray. And know that, that this begins with a prayer and continues with every day you following after Jesus. So if that's you and you're here today and you'd say, Aaron, I want you to count me in on that prayer. Would you just shoot your hand up? Thank you. There's hands up all over the room. That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Put your hands down. Thank you. I'm going to give you the words, and you just need to pray them in your heart and mean it. Say, Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you died for me on Calvary to pay the penalty for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. Give me your Holy Spirit. Fill me now. Teach me how to live for you. And I'll spend every day doing just that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I wish you guys could see what I saw. Hands all over this room. It just touches my heart. It's incredible. And you need to understand, this is a commitment you're making. Not just to being here on Sunday. But finding out how to follow. Finding out how to follow. There's others of you today here that are in this room. You, you, 